Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. episode of everyone's business but mine with me Kara Berry our pop culture roundup and welcome to Plathville and Kardashians on Hulu recaps for this week um we're gonna start off pretty heavy okay because something I witnessed something and it was graphic so if you require a trigger warning for uh domestic abuse or violence or blood. This is not for you. You can skip. This didn't happen to me. Just to be abundantly clear. But I would skip ahead about three minutes. Because boy, you guys. I have a story for you. Okay. Are we ready? Y'all. Friday night, I witnessed my very first stabbing. And it happened right in a man's face. I could not believe it. It's still very surreal. I'm fine. I know it's like, listen, I think that I just maybe absorb things a little bit better. It was definitely shocking. I was shaking. I was physically shaking. <laughs> However, like, I'm okay. You know, like, I don't I don't need to talk to anybody about it, probably. For now, I'm fine. Let's set the ground for work for what's happening. It's Friday night in Manhattan. I'm walking between... Uh, Second and Third Avenue, third to second, right? And I'm like a third of the way to second, the Second Avenue corner. And I'm seeing like, this is like a pretty residential area. It's, um, you know, like people hang out on the corner, the locals, there's a deli right on, right there. It's like, you know, people are kicking it, they're smoking, whatever, right? 
not out of the ordinary. So I'm walking and I'm seeing three or four dudes ahead of me and then like a handful of people even further up from them, like 25 feet from them. So I'm walking past the guys. I'm like, okay. And then I'm hearing the group ahead of me. Like there's this dude who's really being aggressive towards a woman. He's threatening her. He is just like getting in her face. He is threatening to be physical with her. Like he is being pretty relentless. He at one point had her backed up against like the door of a building. Like she, he really wasn't being kind okay he was being straight up abusive towards her and at one point he did push her and so next thing I know I'm not really sure like it all happened so quickly but I hear a squish and then I see a lot of blood coming from this man's face and then I see in this woman's hand is a knife with about a six inch blade and I was like oh okay So now she's kind of got control of the situation. However, this man is not backing off. He's still like being aggressive. And I'm wondering now, like maybe he was in shock and didn't realize what happened. Because that's the only way that that would make sense to me. But he still keeps going for her. And at this point, I'm like, I think I'm going to cross the street. Because I don't know where this is going. Who's to say what this man has on him or doesn't? You know, this is America, girls. I got to keep it, keep it real cute and hide behind a car. So I'm crossing the street. I'm making a distance between myself. So I cross the street one way and there's like a doorman and a resident that I'm crossing by. And they're like, oh, that's so crazy. I'm like, dog, she stabbed him in the face. And they're like, what? And I'm like, Yeah, she stabbed him in the face. So at this point, they're like still fighting each other. I think she stabbed him a couple other times or she at least sliced and diced. And at this point, like the guys are, the guys that I passed are like walking up because they were walking up at first because like I'm hearing them, you know, this guy like pushing up on her and I'm thinking like, I don't want to get involved, but I'm not about to sit here and let this lady like be touched on and not do anything. I'm literally like two feet in front of her. Right. So I'm looking back to see if maybe these dudes know or like are going to intervene. So one of the guys does, he is walking up like as right in the moments leading up to this. So everybody's like, you know, trying to say, Hey, let's settle down here, but also keeping a safe distance because they're not trying to get the knife either. Right. It's just a lot. So that was really the end of the story. But suffice to say, like, that was a lot, Robin. That was a lot. A lot. A lot. I Again, I'm fine. You don't need to reach out to me. There have been other things going on in my life that are significantly worse. But you don't need to reach out to me about that either. I'm, I'm in a space of, like, I don't want, you know, I don't want I'm sorry. I don't want to talk about things. But we're, we're smiling through the pain. I I will say that. And we're going to be moving on and talking about other people's business. My favorite thing, hence the title of this show. So, everybody back now? I hope so. (laughs) What a world. What a city. What a life. Woo! Anyway... (laughs) For those of you asking, um, I have not... I do this every season. I get worse and worse. 
I have not watched Love is Blind yet. And I have seen there is so much drama happening with season five. It sounds extremely messy. I'm really trying to like duck and dodge any spoilers. But for what I've seen is like the shit that I've never even heard happening on Love is Blind. So I'm going to dive in as soon as possible. I just feel like I can't get out from under all the content that I have to consume for these shows. So, you know, it's like it's a lot. So I do think I'm going to watch uh, Desi and Rachel, hosts of Hollywood Crime Scene, are usually on with me. And see, I'm so backed up. I haven't even formally asked them if they want to recap again. So I will ask them privately. But also, if you guys are listening, do you guys want to recap in case I forget to ask you? I'm going to try to remember. But let me know. If you hear this, let me know. <laughs> but y'all, there has been even more drama with Love is Blind season five. Apparently, there's a big bombshell expose that came out on people there was a woman named tran dang she filmed for season five back in i believe this was like early 2022 or no excuse me summer of 2022 um she filmed for season five but she's not been featured on the show so if you guys have been watching y'all haven't seen her as we know love is blind fans usually during the season there are couples that get engaged but we don't ever see their story. And apparently this Tran and uh, her then fiance uh, by the name of Thomas Smith were one of those couples. So they did get engaged. They were never even listed on the cast for uh, season five. So Tran is accusing and claiming that they flew to Mexico for the vacation. They got engaged. They went to the, to Mexico all stuff, and Tran is alleging that Thomas Smith sexually assaulted her while they were there down in Mexico. She claims Smith, and without Miss Dang's consent, forcefully groped her, expo- exposed himself in the nude, and repeatedly made sexual content over her express objections. And because of Kinetic's 24-hour surveillance system of cast members, most, if not all, of these traumatic acts were likely captured on film. There's been no confirmation of this. That's just what they're saying. Likely there's footage of this. Um, She also claimed that she told an assistant producer about that. And that assistant producer then gaslit her by implying that she was at fault for what happened. And by not communicating with Thomas or like somehow not taking the relationship serious. Uh, Chris Cullen, who is the creator of Love is Blind. He's also like behind uh, Married at First Sight um the ultimatum those sorts of things he works for kinetic content and he reached out to people and said that basically they never heard anything about this she never said anything during the time uh never expressed anything and he says if anybody ever came to us and said they felt unsafe in any way we would immediately remove them from the experiment and talk to them and try to get to the bottom of it unfortunately in this case that kind of sentiment was never addressed to us in any way nor was any alleged wrongdoing brought to our attention ever um they kinetic content also basically said the same thing they basically are just like she never told us so We don't know what she's talking about. And basically she continued on with the experiment for like several weeks after this timeline that she's giving of saying she had been assaulted. So they're denying and vigorously, they will vigorously defend any of those allegations. Um, This is not the first time that Kinetic has been under fire for Love is Blind and uh, the work conditions. But I will say with regard to like the work conditions, I'm a little bit more like iffy on it because 
with regard to love is blind they have to you know they have these uh pods right and i imagine because of that they have to set up filming in a way that people don't see each other going in and out of the pods so another of these claims um from Miss Dang is that they were like working long hours that they were forced to stay in their hotel rooms and you know like without permission right but to me, I'm like, well, but the show re- like requires all of this secrecy and like going in and out. So like people don't spoil anything. So that part does make sense to me, like why you would be watched, why you would have to be sequestered, why you wouldn't have to, why you wouldn't be able to leave without permission because they need to be able to coordinate that sort of thing. Now, if y'all didn't know, um, Nick from, I think it was season three or season two, he was the Chicago season. Nick and Danielle, they were a couple, they ended up getting married, but they divorced later on. Um, he also had filed a lawsuit. I believe they both did, um, against Love is Blind saying that they were paid like $10,000 for 10 weeks of filming and they, he was like working out the math according to how many hours he was actually mic'd up and saying that that was about, uh, uh, minimum wage, like a little over $7 an hour when he worked it out. He also claims that they would be manipulated by producers and that the producers used the psychological evaluations that they um, made them take before filming and like take the information from that and use it against them. Um, so my only issue with like, I obviously feel like there should be fair and equitable stuff, but like, with regard to this specific situation, like a love is blind or a reality show in which you're, you know that you're only going to be on for one season and you know that like, this is kind of going to be like a flash in the pan and people are going to move on. Yes. It's going to be sitting forever on Netflix and maybe you should like consider that and, and getting paid on that end. And that should be part of the whole, like, you know, like reality reckoning or whatever Bethany's doing. Um, however, in terms of like compensation with these situations, I'm not really sure what the expectation is in terms of like all of this that he's claiming sounds like things that would have been in the contract. Like you would have known that you would have, were going to be working long hours, filming long hours. You were going to be in the pods. Cause they were saying like that people would be in the pods. Once you guys got to the, towards the end of the experiment or like that, part of the experiment that you could be in the pods with like the person that you were super into for like eight hours at a time if you wanted to. And so I don't want to be like an asshole and say that I don't have empathy for him, but I also feel like this is a very specific type of show where you must know what you're getting yourself into. And you must know that there's going to be sequestering and you're going to be alone for a long time and you're going to be filming for a long time. And also that, Obviously, every moment that you're filmed is not going to make it to air. (laughs) Like, clearly, like, I don't know why you would even put that in the lawsuit. Like, yeah, we know that you film 18 hours a day and we're not going to see all of that. We understand that. And also, you know how much you're going to get paid when you sign that contract. You know how long it's going to take. You know that you're going to have to likely take a sabbatical from work. And that if that is going to potentially mess up your employment down the road, then maybe you shouldn't go on a reality show for and take 10 weeks off of work. Like, you know, it sucks that we live in this, like, dying to five society. But you also, we have to understand that you... 
I don't think anywhere in the world you could just take off to film a reality show for almost three months and expect to, like, be compensated for that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry that you burned through your 401k, but you knew that when you left your job to go to the show. You know what I mean? With that being said, I do think that there should be residuals for anybody who films a show that is going to be on a network or a platform in perpetuity. That I, I completely agree with. What I also don't agree with is the expectation that you were, like, he was also talking about losing his job and it's like, or losing his house potentially. I also feel like even if those residuals were pretty good, you, again, you was a one person in a cast of like six for one season of a show, I don't think you should really expect to be eating off of that for the rest of your life. Like, maybe it's a cute little check and I can go on vacation every summer, but not like I'm, you know, retiring myself. And also there needs to be a little bit of responsibility for like, if you're saying that other companies have seen me on TV and they don't want to hire me, is that Netflix's fault? I mean, I don't know, like... (laughs) I remember being like, I really like Nick on the show. Would that maybe affect my ability? And also, how would he know that? Is that even legal? Would that be legal for them to be like, we're not hiring because we didn't like who you were on the show? I don't think so. And if so, you need to be suing them. You know? Don't sue Netflix. Sue that. Sue that company. (laughs) On the other hand, on the other, other, other hand, you've got people like Natalie from the same cast uh, of Natalie and Shane. You remember her? Um, saying that she uh, is making now almost $700,000 annually, which is three times what she was making at her corporate job, um, doing whatever she's doing. She's got a podcast with Deep Tea and, and, you know, they're in social media. So I I say all this to say that, like, in this age of, uh, you know, where we're just churning out reality shows and they're really a dime a dozen at this point, We have to, like, be realistic in our expectations here. We have to understand that if I'm going on one season of a Netflix show, I'm not going to get the same opportunities as, like, Emma's Empanadas over at Selling Sunset. And Emma's Empanadas over at Selling Sunset is not going to get the same opportunities as, like, Tyler Cameron from The Bachelor. And not all those people in The Bachelor universe are are created equal. You know, like... There's only fa- so many FabFitFun boxes that they can give out before the company breaks. You know what I mean? Like, the only podcast that people can do, like, not everybody's going to be Nick Vial or however you pronounce his name. Not everybody's going to be uh, Rachel Lindsay or, you know, whoever. We we all just got to work with what we got and just, you get what you get and you don't get upset, you know? You know? And those Bachelor people aren't getting the same thing as, like, a housewife. And, and damn, certainly those TLC people aren't getting the, like anybody. I mean, look at what people at TLC get. You want to be Angela from 90 Day Fiance doing appearances down in like wherever the fuck, Georgia? At a, at a Wyndham? In, in the business room with all the, with like two computers? Because that's what she's having to do. And she's been on the 90 Day Fiance universe for, since the, the dawn of time. So... Anyway, let's move on. Super quick, Kim Zodiac Beer Cans Corner for us this week. Just said in and out. Kim's trying to make Corey jealous by putting it in the media that she was flirting with Chet Hanks on the set of The Surreal Life. 
That's it. We're done. Okay? Let's do our Can I Get a Hell Yeah for this week. Going to none other than our girl, Christine Brown. Possibly Willie at this point. Um, She got married this Saturday in Moab, Utah in front of a whopping 333 guests. She and her Disney adult husband are so happy she says exclusively to people it's a fairy tale it's everything i never thought i would had i get to walk down the aisle to david just looking at him him looking at me the way he does it's a dream come true so they actually had like a whole thing cruising down the colorado river on friday night with all the family and they had an outdoor wedding now, I should back up and say, you guys know when I mean all the family, I do not mean Mary, Robin, or Cody. Just to be, a, like, her family. Just to be abundantly clear. <laughs> they were not there. Janelle was looking very cute in, like, a little lavender gown. Super, super cute. Christine looks gorgeous. The design, I think, was, like, really tastefully done. Better than I expected. Um, but, Yeah. Peyton and her dad walked her down the aisle and I think she looks beautiful. They um, were introduced as Mr. and Mrs. Wooly and at last by Etta James White, which is just like so apropos. If y'all don't know, Christine's first marriage, obviously whack, but the wedding even more whack. It is about the most depressing story. Um, She... Christine was the third wife. She was basically brought in to be like the love and light, um, keep sweet gal to keep all the other two bitches from fighting each other and, and make our family not seem so miserable. So that when Cody eventually finds somebody that he loves, he could trap them into think that, thinking that he has a functional family and that he's a good husband and then get the person that he actually loves and then everything crumbles, which is exactly what's happening now and why you guys all should be watching Sister Wives and joining me on Wednesdays for my Sister Wives recaps. Anyway, I love white mess. Um, Here's the thing. I found some information and this really, really gagged me. We're going to get into this wedding planner. Oh my god, I was totally just talking about something else and then I'm just like blanked. <laughs> Let me back it up, y'all. I promise I'm okay. So the point is that Christine's first wedding, she it was just like such an afterthought. Her mom sewed her dress. It was basically like a satin potato sack, like a big pillowcase that they put on her and just like, we're just do a, a tight curl, a ringlet on you and just get out there and smile. Cody didn't give a fuck. He didn't care if she had a dress. He barely looked at her. He was never physically or sexually attracted to her. At one point they were courting and their courtship ended because they wanted a road trip and she bought some nachos and he was so disgusted by watching her eat nachos because he wasn't hungry at the time. That was his reasoning that he broke up with her. (laughs) He ended their courtship. (laughs) So anyway, Her wedding has always been like a sore spot, a point of contention within this family very clearly because Christine never felt beautiful, never felt like wanted. I don't think they cut the cake or danced or anything, which is like kind of Mormon tradition. But basically, she just felt like never loved and appreciated. And so to see her, she looks very beautiful. But more importantly, you know, she looks very happy and at peace. It's just like heartwarming to see. It's like a nice little happy ending for our girl. And, you know... If, according to Robin, um, 
her marriage with Cody didn't end until she was physically intimate with somebody else. So if they weren't knocking boots before this wedding, then I guess officially Christina might be uh, divorced from Cody as of today. So congratulations, girl. I hope he beats the brakes out of you for the rest, rest of your life. Respectfully. I really, I really want that for you. Okay, so now let's get into the wedding planner. Her name is Danielle Rothweiler. Does that ring a bell to anybody? No? Okay. Well, remember, for us Vanderpump Rules fans, she was the woman who planned none other than Sheena Marie and Mike Shea's wedding. The wedding that they had to clean up the trash afterwards, the day after, by the fountain, because they didn't, couldn't afford to have a cleanup crew. The, uh... Uh, yeah, just just incredible, incredible stuff. She planned it. She's been out here. She's been very, very busy. Obviously, Sheena's wedding did her a world of good <laughs> because she has recently planned um, Stacy and Florian of Darcy and Stacy, 90 Day Fiance fame. They just had a wedding last year that she planned. She did um, Angelina from, Van- uh, from uh, Jersey Shore, her last wedding. Not the one she's about to have, the one that she had before this. And um, who else did they do? She also did somebody else recently. One second. Well, I'm blanking. I can't find it. But do you guys remember in the very early uh, beginning of the the lockdown where Danielle, because they were playing uh, old seasons of Vanderpump Rules in like April 2020, and they played the wedding season and the wedding episode, and Danielle was like live tweeting and furiously posting about how unhappy she was with Sheena and how like shitty of a client Sheena was that whole day and how she stressed her out like a bitch she was. And like she went on for like two days y'all like two days on all of her social media platforms just like going ham do y'all remember that it's probably on reddit if you don't if you have some time just go and look back at it it was unhinged but anyway congrats to christine hell yeah girl and our final story is the late breaking news gordon g Daddy G, whatever you want to call him, a.k.a. the soon-to-be ex-husband of one Mia Thornton of Potomac, I recently had an interview with TMZ. Why? I don't know. We need to have a conversation as a nation. Can we get Kamala Harris to, like, can we get this on her front desk? Because I have questions. Why is it? I've seen a trend of when the... Less famous man, well, less famous person in the in the partnership, and it usually is the man. Um, when there's a breakup, they're the ones running to the news outlets, usually first to announce their breakup, the separation, how upset they are, whatever. And I'm just like, but who are you? Nobody asks you. I'm not sure why Gordon is running to TMZ. Like, I get it more in his case because. She did announce this to people, but he's been talking on multiple occasions now. And at this point, it's getting weird. Um, You know, like when Drew and Ralph broke up from Real Housewives of Atlanta, Ralph was the one who broke the news to people. And I'm thinking, how, how does, how do you even have a contact at people? You know what I mean? Like, how is that possible? Because I barely believe that Drew would. So how do you have it? At any rate... Gordon tells TMZ that basically he gave um, Mia 
a gift and Todd a potential uh, storyline for season for uh, the past two coming to Peacock in 2024, I'm sure. Um, that basically he gave Mia a hall pass. Now, this is something that had been kind of alluded to last season because Mia had come out and said that, um, you know, Gordon had prostate cancer surgery, that he was like having issues down there and this kind of came out like all of a sudden I can't remember who she was mad at and was like you said stuff about Gordon and but because like we can't fuck <laughs> I basically I'm obviously paraphrasing um but everybody was like we didn't even know that he had the surgery um so that was mentioned last season though so he confirms that because of the fact that he had the prostate cancer surgery and because he's significantly older than Mia I don't know how old Mia is claiming to be. I'm sure whatever she says, we could probably add five years. That That's neither here nor there. Um, Gordon's 71. Okay, let's put that out there. So Gordon says, you know, due to his age, due to the surgery, he was like, hey, like, I get it. You still want to be out here popping on a handstand. So if you need to find like a little sneaky link, Giselle, now you can finally understand what the actual definition of a sneaky link is. That if you need to find a sneaky link, then you're fully have my permission and consent to do that. There are just two rules. One, don't, one is don't give me a reason to look for it, which I find a little bit confusing. Two, keep the kids out of it. So he says that what is pissing him off with regard to how Mia's like navigating all of this is that even though he gave her permission to seek greener dick or whatever, that she continues to lie and switch up her story about why she's leaving him. And he says that at one point she's told him that this dude is her soulmate. And he was like, but you can have the best of both worlds. So basically what he's saying is like, we, I want to still be married to you, but like, if you need to like, you know, spread your legs, go and do that. But she, I guess, took things too far. And they're like in a relationship or whatever. She loves this dude. That's her man, her man, her man. Now granted, just yesterday, Saturday, she posted, or maybe it was Friday, she posted something like, when I'm with you, you know, like thirst trap pictures, but she's wearing her wedding ring in the pictures. I mean, this is so Mia Thornton. I mean, my God. But basically, he goes and say that like, Mia would sneak around with this dude. He was looking at the phone records and seeing that she was calling him at 2 and 3 in the morning and like, basically, she chose this other man over him. So, I, I guess, I don't really understand what he's fully angry about. He, I'm, I'm assuming that he, what he's trying to say is like, I told her to like catch dick and not feelings, but she caught both of them. And now I'm looking stupid here, but I'm not understanding like, well, they like, don't give me a reason to look for it. I don't really understand. And like, don't get the kids involved. You're the one on TMZ telling us that she's got a man and she's been sneaking around when they, when your kids Google that your face is going to come up. Not Mia's. Now, granted, please don't make me side with Mia because I know that woman is stuck on Goofy. I fully believe that she's been doing this. I fully believe that she's been telling Gordon, oh, this is my soulmate. We're going to ride off into the sun together. We're gonna... This all sounds extremely like what Mia would do. 
I, that I'm not surprised about. It's not surprising to me that she's messy. She's messy. We've been knew that since, honestly, like, how long into her filming, how long was the bike pack on before she told us that, like, she had to get surgery on her vagina because, like, Gordon had wrecked it with his dick or something? Or 45 seconds? You know what I mean? Or was it her clitoris that got thick? You know, you know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't even have to say these words. Like, none of this shit makes sense. Or, or it, it doesn't make sense to me. And I'm wondering why, Gordon, you're so surprised. Because we all knew this. Then this man goes on to say, I think that Mia married me for the lifestyle that I can provide. And I think she's leaving. Because now I have limited funds. Because he got, uh, you know, screwed out of his family franchise. And this new guy that she's seeing has more. She told me they were going to buy a house together. They were going to go into business together. Yeah, Gordon. <laughs> If you want any of us to be like, oh my God, that woman married you for your money and the access and the power that you had and the businesses that she thought that you owned and now she's leaving because you don't have that anymore because you're broke. Whoa, (laughs) really? Oh, damn. Pretends to be shocked. Then Gordon gets even weirder. This is where he really loses me. He says, I have no desire. I never, ever, ever, ever want to be associated with Mia again beyond co-parenting. But if we were to get back together, it would only be for the advantages that it gives the kids. Not because of love on my part, because I can't trust her and I can't believe what she says and I can't believe that she loves me. So why would you even entertain it then? What a weird thing to say. We're never, ever, ever getting back together unless it's for fully platonic reasons because I don't love her and I don't trust her. So why would you get back together? I don't believe anything she says. I don't trust her. I don't like her. But it would be, and what advantage would that be to your children? For you to be with somebody who you think is your mortal enemy, Gordon. Does that make sense to you, Gordon? Does that add up to you, Gordon? Gordon, is this why you lost your business, Gordon? Because you, you say goofy things like this. I wouldn't want you to be part of my chiropractic franchise either. Well, I'm not going to be with her, but if I am, it's because I hate her. Oh, okay, stupid. I don't want you looking at my books. These are decisions that you're making in your life, sir. Anyway, let's move on to a recap of Welcome to Plathville and then Kardashians, shall we? It's been a few months since I've spoken to Ethan. He was calling me like every, like all the time. And every time Ethan would call me, it was, you know, not, I wasn't even given a chance to speak, wasn't listened to, and he would just yell at me. I didn't know what else to do but to just block him. Glad you got to see him. I wish them the best. So yeah, it's sad that Ethan's moving to Minnesota and I haven't got a chance to speak to him, but ultimately, what else can I do? All right, y'all, let's get into this week's or the latest episode of Welcome to Plathville, shall we? Starting off with Mariah and Barry, they're going to the tattoo shop so that Mariah can get her rebel forearm tattoo. But before that, Mariah walks us through the tattoos she already has, the beach waves behind her ear the black heart with the red slashes the rose on her hip and the the whole vibe for me is like 
panhandle random. You know, like if you were to type panhandle random into a, uh, like Pinterest or something, I've never used Pinterest, but I feel like that's like her tattoos is what would come up. But anyway, fortunately the tattoo artist was good enough because I didn't realize this. I have one tattoo. I got it when I was the week after my 18th birthday. Cause one of my best friends and I are, are like exactly a week apart and we're like, she, I'm a week older. So we're like, oh my God, we're going to get our first tattoos at 18. <laughs> so I have not gotten one since then. But I notice people who get the forearm ones, you have to be careful because depending on where you get it, like you have to make sure that it looks the same way when your arm's just hanging as it would if you were just showing it to somebody with your arm up. And people make that mistake if it does that like little twist thing where like if you lift your arm up, you can't see it properly as as the same way. So fortunately for her, she did find the tattoo who got that right. Amen. Then Mariah gives her reasoning behind the tattoo. And it's just like, I just remember being that age, you know, like I can't even, it, what do they say? Like, this is a canon event. You, you cannot intervene. This like fake deep. You guys, I was so fake deep between the ages of, of I don't know, like 12 when I started listening to, to like Bush and like 24 where you just think that you know everything and she's like acting like she's like fucking Rupi Cower or whatever it's <laughs> like going on about like you know I used to rebel and resist against things it's just like all very my chemical romance but like now that I found God I'm rebelling against things that are evil and like things that aren't pure and happiness and I'm sure this dude has heard this story some version of this like 15,000 times before from dozens of 20 year olds, (laughs) you know, just begging to have a deep meaning behind their tattoo. Barry's playing Instagram dad, taking pictures for Mariah. And he says, now that he's a single parent, his goal is to have like a relationship with people who want to have a relationship with him. So interesting. Yet again, the anti Cody Brown of somebody who's like, Oh, I'm having a bad relationship with my kids or with my with the mother of my children, maybe I should forge a stronger bond with my actual children. Wow, may wonders never cease. Now, I don't want to give Barry like all the credit in the world. I do think that like part of this is he's like gauging the reaction of the audience and, you know, is is self-correcting. So like, can I say that all the stuff is authentic? No. But can I say that at least they're reaping the benefits of it other than unlike any of those brown kids over in Flagstaff or Salt Lake or, you know, wherever they're scattered across the country? No. So, you know, <laughs> sometimes you, you gotta take the silver lining even when it's fake, you know, they're still benefiting from it, right? Then we head over to LA. This is part of like, maybe my favorite part of the season so far. Mike is finally back in LA. He's meeting out with his new friends. And these, I don't know if we've seen more than one of these friends before. All of these people are much more telegenic. They're much more like Silver Lake, you know, like types, right? Echo Park types. One of them is named Allie. Like very much giving Allie Sheedy from the 80s and she says that she met Micah at a house party and how out of everybody there he was the only person that she remembered and he's like a really sweet genuine guy now Micah says that he's planning on tonight bringing his friends old and new together so by that we mean it's like Allie two guys and Sydney some chick that he met on a dating app and they're like not quite sure where they are if they're going to be dating right so they pull Allie aside and, and say 
I thought that this was just going to be like the two of you like a date. Is there any interest on your end? And Allie says, I identify as queer. But that being said, there is like a certain type of guy that I'd be curious about. And Micah falls into that type of ballpark. So I'm down for a friendship or whatever. I just find him really attractive. And I would have loved to know, like, what type do you see Micah as? What type is he to you? Because, like, I think I could get it. I just need you to walk me through it. I'm just very curious. So then they ask uh, Micah, did you know that Allie's, like, generally likes women? And he's like, no, I had no idea. Just kidding. But then they have the other two guys. We don't need to know their names. But you know what? They were gossiping. And so they served a purpose. And maybe I should have learned their names, but oh well. Um, So they're talking to production about, like, what they think is going on. There's a triangle here between Micah and Sydney. We're also having a triangle. And we're just trying to figure out, like, who do you think Micah has more chemistry with? And I just, you know, not like I really dive into the fountain of men's opinions that often but I do think it's fascinating to hear how they view dating women or or, you know like because we just have completely different conversations so they're trying to figure out like who do you think Micah has more chemistry with and one of them or they basically both agree that Allie's playing harder to get and so they think that ultimately that's what's going to get Micah's attention more than Sydney. But then they call her Cindy, and then they get confused as to whether or not her name is Cindy or Sydney. So that was the whole thing. Then as a group, they all start talking about marriage and children, and Micah's basically the only one that wants to have those things, right? Well, there was like a divide on the marriage, but the, uh, the guy that Micah's talking to says that he sees no purpose to getting married. Like, from an evolutionary standpoint, he gets how it moves society forward, but personally, he doesn't see the necessity for it. So Micah says, well... Don't you feel like there's something to be said about being able to say to anybody that you come into contact with, like, hey, this is my wife. And the guy says, yeah, but I could do that anyway, and she'd love it. And you know what? (laughs) I don't want to say he's right, but I do think that we need to start listening to men. Because here's my thing. I have not been on a dating app in what year is it? (laughs) Probably not since, definitely not since the 2016 election. I would say even longer than that. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Maybe 10 years that I've not been on dating apps. But um, it's so interesting to me that I'm finding or I'm hearing that the exact same reasons why I was not on a dating app are the exact same reasons why other women, straight women or women who date men are 
over their dating apps. And I just don't understand how this keeps happening. How is, because my biggest gripe was this like ethical non-monogamy thing that is like sweeping the nation of men on dating apps everywhere. And like, it's not like I'm, I don't think that ethical non-monogamy would work for me personally, but that's not the point. It's the point is these men are fully cheating on their women under the guise of ethical non-monogamy and they're just putting that word on it and acting like what they're doing is ethical when it isn't. It's not. And so I'm not understanding like if all of these women and I'm seeing all these conversations on the internet of women having terrible date after terrible date and it's basically all the same thing of men doing the exact same behaviors and women are sick of it. But what I'm not understanding is if all of us women are having these conversations and all of us are like, they're doing this playbook of these 10 things and we all fucking hate it. Why are they continuing? Don't you guys know that we hate that? How is it that you guys are like, do you know that we're having these conversations? Do men know that these women are having these conversations? Like we know all of the tricks of the trade here. I honestly think he would, that like this guy is not wrong in his assumption that, um, I'm not saying that he's, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) It's not surprising to me. And yet it completely is surprising to me that that is this man's thinking. Like I could just call a woman, my wife, and she would love it anyway. I don't need to actually get married to her. (laughs) Micah says in a confessional moving on that, you know, seeing his mom and dad's divorce, seeing what's going on with Ethan and Olivia's marriage, like, and all that they go through, it might think like you might think that it would scare him but ultimately at the end of the day he just feels like he can't live a life that's incomplete in a way just because he doesn't want to be hurt which is like fair enough like you definitely should not be living your life by other people's relationships that's true then they ask uh like his friends ask micah how he would feel about like dating a woman with a kid like today could you do it and he says that he could, but if this was going to be a long-term relationship and he really saw a future with that person, then he would prefer that the child be younger so that he could be more, like, active and involved in that child's life. Which is interesting. I just n- never considered that. But everybody's like, wow, you're really noble for that. That's so great of you, Micah. <laughs> Moving on. Kim shows up to the family house dressed like Carol Baskin so that she and Barry can talk about to the kids about moving. Why? I think we're just doing this on camera. I'm like, at what point are we going to get to the DUI? This is what I have questions up, but we're moving on. But basically like they've already had this conversation and it sounds like they're saying without saying that Kim, this is Kim's buyout because what's happening is they own a bunch of rental properties that they, you know, Airbnb to people. And that's how Kim makes her money. And so they're going to sell the house, that the, the original house that the family's been living in, Barry's been living with, with the kids. And he's going to be moving into a rental property. But in order to recoup the money that they're not going to be making from that rental property, they're going to sell the big house. So it sounds like she's going to get like whatever difference it is. It's, it was a little convoluted, 
But I think this is like a divorce settlement for, for, for Kim. That's what it's giving. But like I said, Barry tells us that they've known about this move for months now. So it's not like they're dropping a bomb. They're moving five blocks away. Like, this is nothing that we need to sit here and have like a whole family meeting about. Except for one moment. But we'll get into that. So Kim does ask everybody if they're okay. Lydia throws, in my opinion, a little Christian shade at her mama by being like, well, obviously I'm used to a lot of change because of, you know, like recent times. So like, this won't be a big problem for me. And then she's like, you know, I know with schedules and the back and forth and the kids, the little girls going from one house to another, I just hope it's not too hard on them. You bitch. (laughs) It's just very clear to me that Lydia's not fucking with Kim. She's very much team Barry. And just seeing like whatever bit of rage comes out of Lydia and it's not much and it's usually with a smile I I find that fascinating so Barry's doing his you know big speech everything's gonna be okay just want to make sure that you guys know we love you and whatever and you know Kim asks Amber she's the 13 year old she's the third youngest daughter you know we never see the oldest one Hosanna she's like the the Amy Osborne, just like the oldest child that we never get to see on camera. Um, but she asked, Kim asks Amber how she's getting used to it. She's like, you know, I'm just processing. And in a conventional, she's like, you know, I'm actually fine with moving to a new house because there's memories of mom and dad in this house that we live in, you know? And I thought that was very interesting. And then I hope everybody noticed that when Kim says, that in terms of her life, it's just like she's sorting out the tangles and she's taking one string at a time and trying to untangle it that way. Lydia rolled her eyes, y'all. She may have just may as well have just called her mom a C-word. That's basically the equivalent of that to me. But then Kim says, you know, she wants the children to know that they're going to do what they can do to make two nice homes for the, each of them, for all of them to live in. After that, Lydia drives the little girls down to Mariah's loft in Tampa. Apparently, they go there twice a month. And Mariah is mothering, okay? She's got her little Publix cinnamon rolls. She's making them breakfast, kind of. She doesn't quite understand how, you know, you have to, like, break the cinnamon roll and it pops open the can. That seemed to take quite a while for her to figure out. Not sure why she didn't just read the instructions again. But anyway, she's mothering. Okay, that's the whole point, right? And honestly, thank God, because they're probably not getting any sort of great mothering above that dance studio. And over at Barry's, their guts probably need a break from all that damn kombucha that he's guzzling down their throats. So (laughs) Mariah tells them that after breakfast, they're going to go to like to a fancy kind of lunch dinner thing. And the girls come down and everybody's giving something different. Like we have to remind ourselves that these are like girls from Cairo, Georgia, who are like, it's so nice to come to the big city. And that big city is Tampa. God bless them. They're so sweet. The little girls are like adorable. They're giving like, you know, homeschool dance. Right. Um, Lydia is also giving homeschool dance, but more like a chaperone than an attendee. Amber, Looks like she's going to a public school homecoming. She would borrowed one of Mariah's dresses. She looked really cute. And then Mariah, she got like the Shein version of JLo's Grammy dress. And I'm not sure why. It just seems like, how are we going from like homeschool church for little children to, you know, a night in Miami? I'm not really sure. Also, it seems like it's like maybe 430. <laughs> so. 
I don't really know what's going on. But anyway, God bless them. Um, We'll go back to them in a second because it's actually moving day for Ethan and Olivia. There's really not too much here. It's just like kind of a recycling of, you know, we're leaving behind our shitty relationships with all of Ethan's family. But, you know, this is kind of an end of a chapter to our lives and we're looking forward to the next one. Ethan actually seems really excited about hanging out with his grandparents and they both talk about how they think this is going to be better for their relationship, better for their marriage because uh, Ethan's parents, so they're actually going to be, it's Barry's parents, Ethan's grandparents, AKA Barry's parents. And they've always been super supportive of Olivia and always been in her corner, but they've been living, you know, how many thousands of miles away. So Olivia's like, you know, I think it'll just be so great for us to experience that support on a day-to-day basis. And then she says something interesting, which is that it might be a make it or break it thing for us. Now, the streets have been saying that Ethan was caught in uh, Minnesota doing a little two-step in a honky-tonk with some lady who was not Olivia. And that was like last week. So maybe it broke it. I don't know. It would also not be surprising to me at all if they decided like, oh, you know, like, let's just be separated for a while. Let's figure things out or let's see other people. Like, none of that would be surprising to me. And and they ended up back together at the end of the day day, or whatever. Like, that would not be a shock to me. There were rumors before the season started where one of... Uh, Olivia's sisters had said that uh, Ethan and Olivia were getting a divorce and it was imminent and like things were so bad between them but Olivia said that this is not not Lydia Grace this is like another sister who's like on the inside still and very like devout so she's like she wouldn't know anything about my life so you know TBD anyway Ethan I feel like is a, a not super reliable narrator at this point because he tells us that he didn't say goodbye to the family but that they all knew that he was leaving because he had run into them like a couple times while he was working in Cairo and that they all knew when his hard out date was. But there's just like so much going on with him that he wasn't able to see everybody. But then he talks about how when he was running into his family in Cairo, they would never mention the social media posts because he says, I know that their view's not going to change at all. But I wonder why he didn't mention, like, last week, Micah said that they had this whole conversation that Micah had never asked him how he felt or what his side of the story was with regard to the MLM stuff with Kim and her stealing his money, allegedly. That he never asked him about it, but they did have a conversation, but it ended up just being, like, useless because they weren't seeing eye to eye with each other. I'm curious as to why Ethan did not mention that and why he's acting like, I didn't say goodbye to anybody or, like kind of even suggests that like they knew when I was leaving and they didn't make any effort either. I don't know. But then he says that in terms of Mariah, she still got him blocked. So unless he literally tracked her down, like it kind of is what it is with her. Okay. So back to the girls dinner, Mariah tells the girls, I want to be in your lives. And then she tells us that she knows that like their parents want the little girls to have as little impact in their lives with regard to the divorce, but they're young. She's like, it's hard for me. I can't imagine how hard it would be for them at their age. It's a lot. And I just want to make sure that my role as a big sister is to figure out what they need. And she wants to protect them. 
But then Lydia says from her side of things that there was a period of time where Mariah wasn't home much, which like I get it, but she got to take over the role as big sister. But now that they're kind of like even and they're like linking arms and arms to help their little sisters. But it's almost interesting, like, again, a little bit of Christian shade out of Lydia. And I don't mean to be too harsh on this girl, but I just get, like, judgment for her of, like, well, Mariah left the house and I had to take over. And it's like, well, Mariah was 17, you know, or maybe she was 16. She was quite young when she left the house. But the point being, like, she left the house at a fairly normal age and you're acting like she abandoned you. Maybe you should be looking at your mama and not your sister. I don't know. But I wonder if it's also one of those things where it's like large religious family, the second oldest daughter who's still single is supposed to be in the house. And I wonder if Lydia feels like she had to take on all these responsibilities. Well, I know she feels that way because that was like a major point of contention for Mariah and Lydia in the early seasons that she felt like she had to take on a role and Mariah just like got to do whatever the fuck and, you know, not wash dishes or whatever. (laughs) Well, she had to like make chicken pot pie for everybody at 15, you know? So then at the dinner, Mariah asks Lydia, what's going on with her? Mariah's now, or Lydia rather, has now, she was working at the bank. Now she's working at a jewelry store. But she's like, oh, you know, Ethan packed up. I got to say goodbye to him. And clearly Mariah did not know that. She's like, oh, he's, so he moved. Okay. Like she's trying to keep it real cute in front of these little girls. But then Lydia tells us that she and Ethan had a conversation before he left And it was actually really good. And then she says, when we're ready, we'll share. But some things are too fragile to put out there. What happened, girl? She seems pretty pleased with the conversation. But again, like, why didn't Ethan mention this? Is I wonder. Because last episode, Lydia told Isaac, oh, you know, I went to the shop where Ethan was working on his cars. And, like, he saw me, but he didn't really see me. Like, he didn't acknowledge me. And I was wondering, like... Lydia, did you have a conversation with Ethan? Or did you both have a conversation? Like, was Ethan paying attention when you spoke? Or did you just come out of there thinking that you guys had this great conversation? Because <laughs> Ethan's telling it like he had no conversation with anybody. So what's going on? <laughs> um, basically, like, Mariah's like, you know, she explains that up to her blocking Ethan, he would call her quite frequently yell at her to the point where she could never get the chance to speak and she was like well I felt like I didn't have any choice other than to to block him so that's where they are the episode ends with everybody and by everybody I mean Ethan Olivia and Nathan um in Tampa having their friends over to have one last hurrah Nathan I guess is going to be living in Tampa by himself um one of their friends bought a hairless cat I don't even think we got to know the cat's name but It was there, you know? How did that, like, early 20-something-year-old get a hairless cat? Those are expensive. And why is it... Why is it in a sweater? Anyway, Ethan and Olivia go to sleep in sleeping bags on their last night. And Ethan talks about how, you know, I was living with my sister. We were living with Olivia's... Lydia? (laughs) Why am I blanking? With Olivia's brother. So, you know, like, there were good aspects to that there were bad ones but ultimately the good outweighs the bad and then he's like I also don't have friends in Minnesota I don't really know what's gonna happen to me because I'm not really the type to make good new friends and if it happens it happens if it doesn't I could just go work on cars or whatever 
And then a producer asks Olivia where she stands with the family members. And Lydia's like, well, I don't want to talk about it. But then she says that, like, she's got anger and stuff inside, but she can also see the positives and talks about, like, having more space for good things. Like, I got them out of here, and we're, we're moving on to the positive. So, whew, let's move on to Kardashians, y'all. I'm definitely still a lightweight. I'll have, like, two shots, and I'll be wasted. And it's so much fun. I'll be dancing on the dance floor. Seriously, I know you guys don't believe me. Ask Beyonce. I danced all night long at her party. <laughs> I think I blacked out. <laughs> but I woke up to so many text messages. And I was like, Chloe, look at this. What did I do? What did I do? And she's like, you were dropping it low and dance. And I was like, no. I just, <laughs> I had no idea. All right, y'all, let's get into the Kardashians, shall we? We're back from Cabo. Chloe's in her basement having the family over for martini night, even though we find out later that she's never had a martini or an olive in her life. And between this and her claiming to have never had anything but a red stripe, never having a beer outside of a single red stripe in Jamaica one time, even if this were true, I don't think it is. It's annoying. Anyway, jump scare for Tristan. But he tells the cameras he's doing all right and how, like, life throws a monkey wrench at you at times. So Chloe explains to us, you know, if y'all missed it, that at the end of season three, unfortunately, Tristan's mother passed away. They flew to Toronto. They're helping him. You know, Chloe's going into her typical mode of, like, you know, fix fixing the broken bird. And just so happened that once they get back to L.A., Tristan has an issue with his roof. So he and his brother have to move into Chloe's house. It was supposed to be two weeks. We found out last week that it was now three and counting. And so that's why he's here. Okay. Chris comes down with a some man named Nick who claims to be a martini sommelier. I mean, I think like nobody even really batted an eye about that. They're like, okay, sure. Well, you've got some man carrying around a tray behind you. That feels very Chris-like. So whatever. Chloe tries her first martini and she's like, no wonder you're so drunk all the time. And Chris goes, yeah. <laughs> then Chris, Kim comes down, asks for a jello shot. Chloe has to explain to her, you can't just make jello shots immediately. Like you have to um, freeze them overnight usually. This basically was just a vehicle for Kim to let us know. If y'all hadn't seen the pictures of us at the Renaissance tour at this point, I got Beyonce in the divorce. Thank you so much. She basically just tells a story about how she is lightweight. Um, It's like two shots and she's done. And she went to Beyonce's birthday party or some party that she held, got on the guest list for, and um, was like dancing the night away and got a bunch of text messages. And she didn't remember because she blacked out. So congratulations, girl genuinely genuinely then true and dream come down and tristan's playing like performative super dad right like lifting the girls up and spinning them around and it's like yeah girl like if i were five and some man who was damn near seven feet tall was spinning me around i'd be giggling too i'd be having a great time okay i know what i'm looking at this manipulation through being cute around children girl and i'm not gonna take it and the girl i mean is tristan so anyway a producer asks Kim in a confessional how she feels about Tristan. And Kim's like, Ugh, I know you guys are going to hate me for this. I know you're going to hate us. I know you're going to think Chloe's whatever. It's so crazy because he's such a good friend and such a good dad. 
And he couldn't just get it together in the area of, like, being a boyfriend. Like, a, a faithful boyfriend. So, it's like, obviously, you want to hate him for that. Of course, his actions and who he was was so fucked up. And I can't deny that. And we've had our talks about it. And we've had our fights about it. But he's also shown so many decent things. And he's been a really good person and a really good friend. When he saw me struggling with my kids, he stepped up and he started showing up to the games. He picked Saint up. He takes them to dinner and he'll always come to my defense, especially with stuff with me and my ex. And I just never forget that. So it's like, I'll never really throw someone away and act like I don't feel like they can grow and evolve. Now, I guess maybe this would be a good time to get back to, um, my Twitter at EBBM podcasts. So this went, there's a lot of discussion. A lot of back and forth. So if y'all didn't see this, I also posted this on Instagram. Um, Kai, who happens to be Jordan Craig's sister. Jordan Craig is the mother to Tristan's first son, Prince. Prince, y'all don't know, is... um, The reason why they call him third trimester Tristan is the fact that he was like fully in a relationship with or pretending to be with Jordan leading up to her basically crowning with Prince. And one day Jordan looks online and sees photos of Tristan and Chloe on some beach having a romantic vacation with each other. Even though he was just at her uh, baby shower, you know, just doing the baby shower thing, probably wearing Burberry and, and doing photos. But anyway, um, Jordan's sister, Kai, had a lot to say. And here's what she said on a black background with a white font. So, you know, she's very serious. It's been so hard to refrain from speaking up and out of respect for my sister's privacy. I haven't for seven years, but this is just too much. It's so painful to see how Tristan can find the time to do these nice things for others but he can't even seem to show up and be a real parent for my nephew, Prince. The fact that he can take other children to school and activities in the same city, yet never sees or speaks to his own son unless it's for a party or planned photo opportunity, is appalling and inexcusable. At Kim Kardashian, sweet, sweetie baby, just quick, real quick editing note. If you're doing like a, a post like this, she can't, the at is not going to work. It's not going to link her, but that's fine. We can move. Okay, at Kim Kardashian, I don't want to believe that you're this insensitive to the fact that he literally ignores his children. That's nice if he's been a great friend to you, but let's consider our sisters before talking to global platforms to defend this man's character. Let's consider our sisters, okay? On another note, to set the record straight, the child support rumors are, in all caps, inaccurate. Tristan has not paid that child support in a very long time and has stopped paying Prince's school tuition. Yet he's being applauded for picking up and dropping off other kids to school and activities. He hasn't even inquired where Prince goes to school now. (laughs) Despite it all, my sister continues to work multiple jobs as she has since she was 16 years old so that Prince will never have to feel a difference. But regardless, stepping up for your son is not all about money. It's about the time spent. At Real Tristan 13, you are not a good father if you can't be a good father to all of your children. Whew. And that's how you clear somebody. Now, like I said, there was a lot of discourse about this on my Twitter. And um, it was basically like 60-40 difference, split. I would say more people than not were very pro Jordan slash Kai in this situation. Very like, 
read him down, girl. This is unacceptable. I don't like this. It's tacky of him and whatever. And the other percentage of people were like, she should not have done this. Why is, why are you getting Kim involved in this? She didn't do anything. You shouldn't be blaming her, um, for this situation. Now here's where I am at. Y'all know, like I'm very protective of my sister. So <laughs> I would have never waited seven years for this. I would have, I would be letting the chopper spray every episode, every single one. I'd be going live. Like, uh, you remember when Danielle from Real Housewives in New Jersey, she had quit the show. Remember she went, I watched what happens live and quit the show, told Andy she wasn't going to come back. And then that whole following season, she would go on Instagram live as the episodes would air and, and give her commentary on it. Cause she really just like shot herself in the foot by saying she wasn't going to, well, really she was like, I'm never coming back to New Jersey. She didn't qualify that. Like she didn't, she didn't say across the board. She just said she's not coming back to Jersey. But then she got real desperate. Anyway, um, that would have been me. Every episode of Kardashians, every episode that Tristan came on, I would have been like, listen, bitch, where's the child support, bitch? But here's my thing. Is that like, I could fully understand the frustration of watching somebody super famous cart this man around and give him like a whole PR tour when he's not doing right. And she's absolutely right. That line, that last line is correct. You are not a good father unless you're a good father to everybody. And like, let's be real here. We know that the only reason why he's being acting this way to Chloe is because he knows that like, he doesn't have any prospects with anybody else because dicked his way around America and really North America probably, and some other countries outside of that, Europe, probably Asia too. And that he um, knows that he's a loser. Nobody else wants him. Why don't you hitch a ride to the most famous wagon that you possibly could? And it is advantageous for this narcissist to be nice to Chloe because he knows that at some point you, Kim, are going to be duped by him and you're going to be singing praises about how he took a saint to Applebee's one time and how great he is and what a great father he is. But she's absolutely right. If you're not a good father, y'all know that he does not eat. He gave up rights to the, to, um, the second child that he has with Chloe. He doesn't even have parental rights of this, of that boy, but he's a good father to saint girl. But my larger point is like, we really need to watch and see why are we doing this whole PR haul, PR overhaul for in the name of Tristan Thompson? For what? Like, what? it really is giving, we're laying the groundwork for like a potential reconciliation between he and Chloe in the future. And it's like, if y'all want to do that, that's perfectly fine. You don't need to do all this. I don't, we don't really need to see him on camera. We don't need to see Kim gushing about him going to basketball practice and, and getting the boy chicken fingers. Like we just don't need to do that. I feel like generally speaking, like we're all tired of Chloe and Tristan. And at this point, what can we say? It's like, if y'all want to be together, then just be together. We, the clown makeup is already permanently on your skin about this. So how much worse can it get girl? Just do it. And if you're as adamant as you say later about not getting back together, then like, again, what is all this for then? 
What what is this for? After this, they discuss Amari's condition since uh, Tristan's brother's currently in the hospital and how he's been having a lot of seizures. And Chris says in a confessional that Amari's teaching them a lot of life lessons and gets emotional and says, you know, when you meet him, he becomes part of your soul and you can't understand how or why this sort of thing happens. So hopefully what comes out of this is that this teaches the family that life is a beautiful thing and how proud of Chloe she is for stepping up. And I, again, like, I don't want to be disrespectful to Tristan's mother or the brother. I would like to be, and I will continue to be disrespectful to Tristan. However, I'm just not understanding the purpose of featuring this man so heavily if Chloe and everybody is saying that they're not together and never will be. So what are we doing here? Like, bring Scott back then. You know, like, at least can we have somebody who's entertaining? Because take all of the cheating out of it. You know, take all of it out. The man's still not entertaining. So, I don't know what to tell you. Then Kim says that she's going to, she tells everybody, I'm going to be speaking at Harvard Business School, by the way, because Skims is going to be getting discussed in a course, and then she's going to be going to Ohio to meet um, this a man named Kevin Keith, who is currently serving a life sentence. She believes in his innocence, so she wants to bring attention to the case. So that's what she's going to be doing afterwards. And then Dream and True start yelling down to Chloe, like, Mommy, Auntie Coco, Mommy, we're ready for dinner, right? So Chloe's very sweet, like, I'm coming. One second, guys. But they keep yelling down. So Chris just yells, she'll be right there. And then everybody kind of freezes. But Chris is like, you know, the sommelier really must have done her body good tonight. Because she's like, oh, <laughs> whatever. And then she's like, you guys can keep it. Like, to the camera people. And it just really was reminiscent of, you know, it just really made me think of how many times Chris screamed at a child on camera and we just haven't seen it. You know? Just something to think about. Speaking of Chris screaming at people younger than her, Chris is now on this, like, follow your bliss tour where she's, like, just doing the things that she wants to do. So she's going on a date night with Corey. They asked Chris if she knew it was going to be special. And I think that this is such an interesting way. I speak Chris Jenner. And the way she answered this is so interesting. So they're like, did you know that this was going to be special? And she goes, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And nobody wants to believe that what they're doing, you know, that they're doing something that it doesn't have a happy ending, which is a not yes to me. You know, it it wasn't giving I'm in love. I mean, for somebody who we see cry at the drop of a hat every moment, and she really hasn't spoken much about the status of her relationship with Corey, you would think, and I think there may have been rumors about them breaking up around this time, that she would have been a little bit more gushing or been like, I love this man because of X, Y, Z. And we didn't get that. It was just like, oh, well, you know, when you start something, we hope for a happy ending. And then she realized that she said happy ending and that that was sexual. And then she just laughs it away. So there's your answer as to whether or not Chris and Corey are fake. She's also wearing a black blazer that looks like a, like a bird repellent. Like, you know, when, if you look at like an awning or some kind of overhead structure, they don't want a bunch of pigeons going up there and like shitting on people. 
so they put spikes up. That's what her, that's what her blazer looked like. But anyway, um, Corey asks her on the drive there, like, do you remember our first kiss? And she's like, mm, I think it was maybe in our backyard or the, my backyard or, or no, was it Paris? And Corey's like, you know what? Here's the good news. I don't remember either. <laughs> so why are you asking that? <laughs> so then Chris says, well, I actually thought it was at my house after Casa Vega. And he's like, no, 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 babe. We were hooking up after that. She, Chris just looks over. And she goes, damn, that was kind of a hoe. They pull up to Giorgio Baldi. Now, if you, if you don't know, you know, it is like, what can I compare it to? It's a paparazzi hub. It's practically Rihanna's second home. It's like, if you're seeing her pictures of her coming out with a, a third drunk glass of wine, she's probably coming out of Giorgio Baldi. The people know, the paparazzi know, that's the place where you're going to post up and more than likely see at least Melanie Griffith, you know, like at the very least. So when they pull up and, and Corey's like, why would the paparazzi be here? I'm like, because they know that they could probably make a, a cool 200 bucks just standing out here for you two. That because you guys are out here right now. That's why. That's why. It's like pulling up to your parents' house and asking, why is your dad here? You know, <laughs> he lives here, girl. So then Chris starts waxing poetically about what Giorgio Baldi means to her. Like, it's truly like her Olive Garden. When you're here, your family, it's like a homey experience. Okay, girl. But then they start talking about uh, sex on the beach. Chris is getting real 80s, looking over at her boyfriend who's younger than her second daughter. And he's like, um, do you remember that drink sex on the beach? And you would go up to people and be like, Hey, do you want to have a sex on the beach? And they didn't know if you meant like the drink or the, the, the action. And he's looking at her like, what? No, no, because I was like five when you were doing that. But, um, this leads them to talk about them having sex on the beach at one point. Chris asks Corey if they want to, if she wants to do it or he wants to do it. And he was like, well, we did in the Maldives, but then he said that they can't have that in LA County. Cause they'll be can- canceled. <laughs> we can't have sex on the beach in LA County. <laughs> and then he goes, um, he was, he, ugh, this man pulls a Malika and, and is like, you know, Chris, I have just been seeing, uh, Chloe and Tristan together. And I really think that you should have just one last talk with her about them getting together. And what he says was, is that they've been under the same roof and it's been so great. And he brought a life into that home. And I just don't know how Chloe's going to adapt with just her walls, just her, the walls and the babies. And he did hit on something because obviously prior to Tristan moving in, Chloe was very much trying to act like she was okay, smiling through the pain from the fact that he had a baby behind her back while she had a surrogate, you know, cooking one of their golden boy son up for them. Right. So to act like you're basically the man who put you in that emotional state was the one who also brought life into your home. And now you're, as a member of this family, an extended member of this family, are like concerned about what's going to happen to the life of the home and the life of Chloe when uh, when he leaves. It's like, damn, that sucks. I would hate for somebody to feel that way about me. <laughs> and then Chris has the nerve to say in a confessional, 
When you look at Chloe and Tristan from the outside, it's very complicated, but who knows what's going to happen? That's for them to work out. Okay, I'm with you. That is for them to work out. It's not really your business to have a talk with your daughter about getting back with her, her captor, frankly. But um, to be like, if you look at it from the outside, it's pretty complicated. I'm sure if you look at it from the inside, it's even worse. It's got to be, right? <laughs> I can't imagine what we don't know. Because what we do know, girl, what's in the light? What's in the darkness, babe? What's on the inside? Don't tell me. After this, Chris has her little fluff uh, storyline of, of being in a Megan Trainer video. Um, I am your mother, I guess. I tell you, for some reason, I'm very weird about social media in the sense of like muting or blocking people. Muting is typically as far as I'll go. If I'm blocking somebody, it's like somebody I really don't fuck with, like politically or, you know, something of that nature. But in terms of like interactions I would have with normal everyday people or people that I know or have personal relationships with, I'm not going to like, one, I rarely fight with people, but two, I'm not, it's, I barely, I don't even really know how to block people on my phone. It's just not my way. However, on TikTok, I am so quick to block people. I will do it with ease and joy. And it's brought me a, a sense of peace that maybe I need to talk to somebody about. However, the, I say all this to say that Megan Trainer and her cinematic universe, her husband, her a friend, that Chris guy, anybody that Chris might be friends with, her brother, uh, it's like I spent months like a fucking... Um, one of those little bopham games at the at the arcade where just like blocking all of them because they were taking over TikTok in a way that was like truly vomitrocious. The like corny I, I never liked Megan Trainer. She's just not for me. I feel like she does have a tone to her voice that I could like, but like I just can't do it. But God, it her um music personality is like sterling compared to her TikTok personality. And they're, they're just like I just can't do it. I, I can't do it. So that whole thing, Megatrain is very triggering to me because I'm just like, I don't, I, it just felt like very force fed her content and I just don't like it. Her and that Nickelodeon husband. Was he, was he Spy Kids? Doesn't matter. I don't want to talk about Megatrain anymore. <laughs> I say all this to say she might be like one of the few women who's on my list of people who I don't fuck with, uh, you know, up there. With, you know, the Ryan Reynolds and the Dax Shepherds of the world. She's not as bad. But she's, like, the woman equivalent of that. So, like, you know, I have to... Who's, like, a woman that I can't stand? Maybe, like, a... like a um Oh, Jamila Jamil. Yeah. 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 That's a bad one. But even then, not... A, I would still say that Jamila, to me, is not as bad as Dax or Ryan. Even combined. And I find her pretty annoying. So <laughs> I would put Megan Trader as like a B team for the women. So like she irks me, but I just also let her do her thing. Anyway, to go all the way back to Chris and Corey, Chris says that she's going to say yes. Like typically she says no to things like this, but now she's in her year of yes. So she's going to do it. Then they split a dessert and they do that thing where you, like, wrap your arm around somebody and then you put the thing in your mouth. And Corey says, well, next time we'll do, like, a lady in the tramp move, right? Chris asks, well, which one of us is the lady and which one of us is the tramp? Corey looks at her crazy and says, you're the one who got all those kids. But let's be real, even if Chris Jenner had one child, 
Corey is the lady. And Chris is very much the tramp. And that's never going to change. <laughs> then Chris tells the producer, like, not in a confessional, like, in a breaking the fourth wall, like, the producer's right behind the cameras while we're eating this dessert. Um, she goes, we have to go because you know, you know what Corey's thinking, you guys. He's got like 30 minutes with me at home before I fall asleep. She, Chris said that she goes to bed at 7.30 every night. That was impossible. How? Anyway, uh, you guys, Caitlin's back in the news in a major way that she does like every, I would say nine months. And it's very annoying. Like, I don't really know why people are interviewing her anyway. Do we need another one of her opinions about women in sports? I don't. But anyway, um, she was talking about the Kardashians because that's what she, you know, when she needs attention, she'll dig deep and talk about how she doesn't talk to them. And that ends up being headline news. Breaking news, I still haven't spoken to those that people. Like, I could do that. We could all be like, hey, I still haven't spoken to Kim Kardashian today. <laughs> you know? And then what she does is, like, act like, oh, my God, I said something in the media, and now the family's upset with me. And it's like, okay, do you think that it's the fact that you spoke about them? How do you think they're going to feel about you telling us now that they're mad? You think that might be the problem, Caitlin? <sighs> anyway, um, Caitlin comes up later, but then we have Kim go to Harvard and in a confessional, she's like, you know, very Elwood's what? Like it's hard. And then she winks, but you know, like, cause her forehead doesn't move. She has to like figure out a different way to wink, which is to just like push her cheek up close to her eyes. So her eyes will close. <laughs> and I like that. They prep her for talking about this like discussion talk about your history as an influencer talk about getting into skims fighting imposter syndrome etc and kim says the top business minds have been lecturing at harvard so she's like super nervous right but we don't get to see the conversation because of the hallowed halls of harvard or whatever and but kim says it was fascinating and basically she was talking to the students about like the thought process behind their campaigns, uh, the fabrics, and, you know, things that people think that I wouldn't be involved in. We do get to hear her, like, we see through a little bit of an open window that she has everybody take a group picture, and she makes them say skims, and they're like, skims. <laughs> and then she tells everybody that they're going to get uh, free skims gear at some point, and then they really start clapping, just like uproarious clapping. <laughs> so... Afterwards, some guy, I guess, from Harvard is just, like, gushing. Kim, I saw a different side of you. I can't believe this. And Kim's like, yeah, you know, that's why it would be so great if we got to film that kind of stuff for my show. Because the audience can see that instead of me fighting with my sister over something stupid. This will mark the second time in this episode that Kim is completely wrong. No, but we don't want to see this. Like, I'm happy for you. And, like, we can have this moment of you at Harvard. We can definitely have several moments of you trying to help people uh, get out of their prison sentences. Like, that's real. But, like, I don't care about this. That It, it was, like, a whole lead-up to us not even seeing anything. So, whatever. Then this dude, and this felt very fake, because the guy was like, I just want you to know that um, you are on par and like your insight, your convictions, they're on par with some of the best CEOs. 
but he doesn't even finish the sentence. Like, he's like, oh, I just wanted to let you know that your insights are, and she looks at the camera and goes, see guys, hear what he said? And it's like, no, we didn't, because he didn't even finish the sentence, girl. This feels very um, massaged. Like, how many times have we done this scene before? But anyway, even though she literally just said, this is why we push to have this sort of content on the show, he says, why don't you have this on the show more? Why don't, do you, is there a reason why you don't want to show this? And Kim has to be like, no, this is why we push to have that scene filmed. <laughs> because I don't off, often get these opportunities to show it on the phone. Like, you guys wouldn't let her film it. Now, let me do a lecture at, at Harvard about listening skills, sir. I need your job. He was trying to flirt with her so hard and do this like thing that smart but misogynistic men think that we love, which is be like, oh my God, I cannot believe how smart you are. I'm so shocked. You have a brain in there? Wow. So they do film like a little panel with a few of the classmates. They do a little Q&A with Kim and... One of them asks her, like, what drives her to her success? And she looks at the camera and goes, thank you, Courtney. Maybe I should thank her because she's always asking me this, like, why? Like, what drives you to want to do this? But then she's like, I don't actually have an answer to that. But she just talks about, like, how much she loves the adrenaline. You know, very, I've been rich a long time. Like, don't worry about the money. The money will come. I really worry. I, I really focus on, like, the excitement of getting a campaign, like how she talked about how she and um, she got Megan Fox and Courtney to do a campaign, like, you know, right around the time that they were hanging out with each other's boyfriends and, you know, dually making out on the red carpet. And so they cashed in on that and did a photo shoot within like a few days of all of this, like excitement about those two couples. Right. And how exciting that was to make it all happen. The adrenaline of shooting with them. Like, that's what makes her happy. And then a blonde woman asks her how she does inclusion within her company. And I just kept looking at the black woman sitting next to the blonde woman. I'm just like, I would love some sort of pop-up video thought bubble as to what she is thinking right now. Having a white woman ask another white woman, how how do you do so well with inclusion? Now, granted, I, yeah, okay, Skims, all of Kim's brands, when they're not shooting her, they do tend to be very inclusive. But I also think she goes on about how basically that's like inherent to them and how we don't really think about that because that's how we always have been. But, and I also, there's like, half truth to that I think you guys have always been like that as a brand because you came in at the time where there were a lot of conversation being had about diversity and inclusion in beauty and so yeah it was like always inherent to you because you came in right during that wave not because it was necessarily like ingrained within you guys to have women who have different bodies or are differently abled or different skin tones than what we typically see in the magazines. Like I think y'all caught onto a good time and you're making it seem like this is natural. And I don't think that's true. Like I think if Kim had launched her shit 10 years ago we would have been seeing the same stuff that everybody else would have all the other brands do you know i don't think it would have been inclusive at all 
And that's my truth. The same blonde woman also asked her about, like, like being yourself. Because she was very much in glam and, like, had a blowout and was very much like, you know, I'm usually the only woman in the boardroom or wherever I am. And, like, I don't, I want to be taken seriously in, like, a full beat, right? So Kim tells a story about how she was uh, going to the White House and how she had recently posted a bikini picture of her on Instagram and how... Uh, she was like nervous because she was like, oh my God, what if they see this picture? Do you think that they're going to um, be concerned? And it's like, girl, we know what it is with you. We know your brand. Also, that was the Trump White House. Okay. And you're like besties with Ivanka. So I think you were fine. And I also think everybody knew who you were at that point. So, you know, and also it was a very good look for you to come in like help with your justice reform uh, in that particular administration so i think you were okay this is a pr move like i know it was a big deal for you but you know you should know that you know scratching the back and shaking the hand, whatever the phrase is <laughs> you were scratching their back you were doing them a favor there was nothing to be nervous about girl I feel like there are very few things for Kim Kardashian to be nervous about at this point. But anyway, shout out to you, queen of inclusivity, for that. In a confessional, a producer asks Kim about her work ethic and how her secret to success that they've noticed seems to be like she's ready to take a step for the path is like forged ahead of her, right? And Kim's like, yeah, you know, that's actually something my stepdad taught me. And she said, thank you for using the right pronouns because your sister, Chloe, this is a real big problem with that. So she says, you know, Kimmy, you should try things you're scared of and are outside your comfort zones. That's the only way you'll ever grow. <laughs> Ladies, that's my Caitlyn Jenner impression. I'm, I'm going to work on it. Okay. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> After that, Chloe goes to a Good American meeting to play like Businesswoman Special, right? At, over at the Century City Mall to preview the first of what's going to be like 50 Good American brick and mortar stores. I don't care about this conversation. We find out that she's over budget and behind schedule. We're obviously sitting in a construction site with a bunch of pictures up. Like it's giving She by Sheree fashion show with no fashions, right? A, a fashion store with no fashions. But... This does lead us to a great part of the show where um, the women, the girls, Chloe and Kim and briefly Courtney, talk about their time um, doing To Catch a Predator, um, L.A. County. So they would call into this 1-900 number. Because Chloe's telling her her uh, coworker, she's. I did a story about Emma Grady, by the way, how... Um, She's going to be helping Kylie allegedly uh, launch her clothing brand. And it's going to be like a quiet luxury brand. This woman, this British woman, Emma, was is the woman who's going to be helping her, allegedly. But anyway, the point is, Chloe's talking to her about how, you know, this, we I used to go to this mall when I was little. Like, there's a lot of history. It's been here a long time. And Chloe and Kim used to call 1-900 numbers or Courtney and Kim, used to call 1-900 numbers, ask dudes, like, meet these dudes on the chat line, and ask them, hey, um, meet us at Blockbuster or at the mall. There were, like, 15, 14, Chloe's, what, 12 or 13 at this point. Like, it's not great. 
they're doing nothing wrong, by the way. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's creepy. So they would stand these guys up, but they would watch them at, like, whatever store. (laughs) It's a blockbuster in the mall or whatever. And they would watch these guys get stood up and then they would bring a Polaroid camera and take pictures of these men and put them like in an album or something to look at later. So Chloe tells her, I bet you anything Courtney knows the phone number to that by heart still to this day. So then they have Kim call Courtney and this is all we hear of her. Courtney, what's the 1-800 number? And Courtney's like, oh, I remember. It's 213, and then they block out the rest of it because I guess it's still, like, an active uh, line or they're going to pretend like it is. So Kim calls on three ways. So it's her, Courtney, and this chat line. And it's like, this is blah, 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 where naughty is nice. Your live chat starts now. And so Kim tries to get Courtney to talk, and you can really see, like, the kid of them jump out because Kim's like no Courtney you take it and Courtney's like no I'm not gonna say anything so a guy gets on the line and Kim starts talking she's like hi this is Samantha and he says he's Chris from Ventura County she's like oh I live there too and then she gets nervous and hangs up she's like I can't do it you guys (laughs) that's really creepy like is this real did some man random man from Ventura have a a 30 second conversation with a, a Kim Kardashian on the phone Like, did he know? Mary, did you know? Mm. After that, Kim goes to Ohio to meet Kevin Keith and his family. She's been working on his case for about four years, and he had been, at that point, incarcerated for 28 years. And it was, like, on a murder charge. She did a podcast about him on Spotify, but they've never met face-to-face. So she goes to Ohio. They hold a panel to raise awareness for his case, then she meets his family, and then she goes to meet Kevin for the first time, but we don't get to see that because the cameras weren't allowed inside. But they basically use this, all of this kind of works in the favor because they end up getting a fourth appeal for Kevin um, on the strength of Kim raising awareness. However, unfortunately, um, I looked up any updates and as of August 16th, they had rejected the latest attempt to overturn his conviction. Um, and basically it was the grounds of, they just, that it failed to meet the high legal standard needed to overturn the convictions that they just didn't feel like the evidence that they brought forth was like enough to look at the case again. So unfortunately it did not work out for Kevin. I I can't imagine his situation. I it really sounds very shit. Like you know, all the critiques in the world for Kim Kardashian outside of this, but I do appreciate that she at least attempts to bring awareness to these cases. Like she understands her power and she uses it in a very specific way that um you know a lot of people wouldn't think of. And I think that all um celebrities should really look at her and think about how can I use my powers for good maybe it's not in criminal justice reform but maybe it's like in environmental reform or healthcare or something like it is really smart of her to be like I know what I bring to the table I know what I can like shed light on and I'm going to use it for these like really good causes 
Then we head back to L.A. Chris is filming uh, the Megan Trainor music video in a blonde pixie wig. They try to build all this tension because Chris doesn't get the moves right, the little choreo right on the first take. It's literally just like one arm up like Material Girl. And then there's like a line about driving her car. So you just like do a mimicking car driving motion. So she does it on the second take. And they act like the director is like, yeah like jumping up screaming fist pumping in the air like chris just hit the eight like a 16 count of like the everybody mad choreo from beachella like girl it was the arm and a little driving pipe down lady pipe down i can't imagine just being so praised for doing so little (laughs) what a life what was kind of sad and a little bit funny was that Chris explains that she didn't tell any of her daughters that she was filming this, but somehow Kim ended up finding out. So she FaceTimes her, but she didn't tell them because. She- Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Kim was right, or Chris was right, because Kim says, well, it's like embarrassing. Like, I thought she would embarrass us. <laughs> Imagine doing some whole thing and being like, I don't want to tell my daughters because they're going to say I'm embarrassing them. But, like, in the end, they do all say, like, well, Kim does. Kim says that she killed it. Then we see Chloe at home showing Tristan baby pictures. And by that, I mean she's showing Tristan his own baby pictures. And then Chloe says that she's, like, not naive about the fact that her ex is living with her in her house, but they're in sensitive times because, you know, Trish is, fair enough, is in the very fresh stages of grieving his mother. And on the other hand, she wants to be like, um, are you going to be getting out of my house anytime soon? Because she wants to, like, set boundaries, or so she tells us, right? So she asks Tristan, they film a little scene where she's asking him what's going on with the house. Because she's, like, making jokes about how it's kind of seeming like you're maybe just going over there and poking holes in the ceiling and, and you know, finding ways to stay here. And he's like, haha, but, like, aren't I a good house guest? And she's like, yes, you are. But that's such a manipulative question. But why would I be surprised coming from you? So then he does the typical, like, overstaying your welcome speech. Like, no, I get it. Like, there's nothing like your own space to a degree. And she goes, no, not to a degree, Tristan. Just period. Like, I like being alone. And then he goes, yeah, but I thought it was a great house guest. Chloe says in a confessional, I don't want anybody to ever think that I misled them. 
when it comes to love and how adamant I am about that because I've been on the receiving end and I just don't think that like love is something you play with and sure but you also have this man in your house so that's a little bit we're telling two sides of the story here like you know how this man acts you can't have this man in your house girl I understand that he's hurting I understand that he's going through a very difficult time but we could get an Airbnb you could have uh ask Jeff Bezos to to go get Tristan a house for a month like that's your bestie he didn't need to be in your house okay like I I get it he's going through a tough time but he did not need to be living in your house he can afford he, he can go hang out with Jordan and his other son Prince if he really wanted to but he's over at you why because he wants to take advantage of you Chloe also, like, who on this planet cares about you hurting Tristan's feeling? Whichever one he has. <laughs> it's only, it's only got to be one in there. And I don't care. We're good, girl. Hurt him. I would love for you to hurt his feelings. Then they start talking about how he's, like, doing this on-camera work for ESPN now, I guess. And how it can be hard to, like, edit yourself for TV. But how good he is about that. And this turns into him... In his, like, I'm a good boy, I'm reformed now speech. Because how is, like, editing yourself for sports going into him being like, yeah, and, you know, the industry can really fuck you up and, and your mental your your mentality and how you're just in competition with so many people and, like, you think that you're, you know, God's gift to the world. And basically, like, it wasn't until I looked at myself and thought... I really need to hold myself accountable because, you know, I was taught in the league to like, you know, be the man, do what you please, bros over hoes kind of mentality and how, you know, I bet the guy who came up with that bros over hoes, I bet he's probably a loser, right? And like, you just need to be your own man and, and don't feel like you have to get validation from others. Like imagine him saying that to, to Chloe, considering all that he's done. It's like, girl. Then this man has the nerve to be like, you know, True and Prince are understanding things. And the last thing that I would ever want is for them to feel embarrassed that, um, that I'm their father. Now, granted, this man already has, he's got two other children that I guess are like non-factors in here. But anyway, then he's like, you know, going on this journey, especially with my mom. I'm, I've been thinking about how, you know, like, why do I do things to hurt certain people and, and the thing that sticks in my mind is just like how much I care about you, Chloe, and I love you and you're my best friend. And how do I meet my person and put them through that? So a producer asks Chloe in a confessional, is it hard for you to hear him say that you're his person? And Chloe says, you know, I've heard he's heard he's said this before. I've heard this before. Like, it's not that I don't believe him, but. I've heard this before and yeah, like it's angered me because I think if that's how you feel and if that's the truth, then how would you treat me this way? And how many times, but then she's like, you know, I love love and I'm a hopeless romantic, but it's not going to change how I feel and it's not going to change what happened. So then Tristan tells Chloe that he's in a new chapter of his life, whatever that would be. So he told Chris earlier that he appreciates her. He called her mom. I told mom that I appreciate her. And I, you know, I appreciate you too, Chloe. 
And Chloe's like, you know what, you know, no matter what, we're not an eye for an eye kind of family, especially in times of needs. And she talks about her karma and how she always wants it to be great for the future, for her next life. And not to justify what he's done, but she just wants to keep her side of the street clean, basically. So Tristan then says, you know, it was my decision, yeah, to do the things that I did, all 34 of them. Then Chloe tells Tristan, you know, I know God and I know God won't break me, but I also know that like, if what you're saying is true and I am your person, then that means that you're going to feel much more affected by losing me and want to change for yourself because there's not a prize at the end of it. Mm, I don't, I don't know about that, Chloe, but okay. And then she tells him, listen, we're going to be in each other's lives for the rest of our lives because of the kids. I'm not going to fight that. And I just want to make sure that things are as good as possible for me. And then Chloe says in a confessional that obviously what happened between she and Tristan was not one small event. It was a massive situation, but it was a very traumatic experience in her life. But she keeps acting like this is one thing that happened. And I think she's just keeping it to... The last thing that he did to her, which granted was the biggest thing, you know, like actively knowing that you have a kid on the way while um, courting this fantasy with a woman that you weren't even in a relationship with and like letting her go forward with giving a surrogate, uh, you know, her body to make a child with you while you were trying to pretend like you weren't making a child with somebody else. That was definitely the biggest thing. But it wasn't the only thing, Chloe. And listen, I wouldn't want to think about all the L's that I took from this man either. But we got to keep focused because he's in your house. He's infiltrating you. He's probably, you know, spraying his cologne on your pillow, unbeknownst to you, to like send you sub messages, like subconscious messages. Like you just need to like keep your mind your six. Is that what they say? Mind your six, girl. So then Tristan, you know, manipulates her again by being like, this just shows what a good person you are, Chloe. And like, you've done more than what most humans can do. And that just shows how pure and great your soul is. And Chloe then is like, you know, he's got her on the line. And she's like, you know, you're a good person on your core. Like, that's why I was with you. Everyone does dumb shit, but not everybody does it on a public platform. And then I thought, oh, my God. That's the issue. Is that he didn't cheat in peace. He didn't keep it quiet. He didn't, you know, just find random chicks like, uh, like Scott Disick and like go to the South of France and get drunk for three days and like, you know, then come back and like maybe only the Daily Mail would get those pictures and then people would just move on. He wasn't like, yeah, he, he did that publicly and that's what she's upset about. And girl, you got to be upset about more than that. Okay. Like way more than that. Actually, you really don't. Like I've honestly, I've given, I've let, let go and let God with regard to Chloe. Like this is what she wants. This is, I, I think she really wants to be with this man. And you know, if that's what she feels in her heart, then go for it. You know, who am I? Who are me to judge? Well, I've just been doing it for the past like 35 minutes, but you know what I mean? Like it seems like at this point, this is what you want. And now we're, you're like trying to like softly convince us that this is like something that might be a good, 
decision because otherwise I'm not understanding why we're spending so much um, airtime on him and what's going on with Tristan. Like, I am not understanding it. But she's like, you know, just like you can do dumb shit publicly. You can do incredible shit publicly. And like, we all believe in you. And just remember, remember, Tristan, that your past doesn't define you. And like, you need to start holding yourself in a way that like your kids are proud of you. And, you know, the legacy that you want to leave behind is way greater than what the world has been exposed to. And it's like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Cause like, what is kept? I'm, I'm, I decided you guys to get into basketball this season, but I have heard things and what I've heard is like, not great. It doesn't sound like he's that great of a player. So, I mean, yeah, I think this might be your legacy, Tristan, but that's on you. That's on you, babe. That's on you. The episode ends with Chloe saying that her plans for the future with Tristan are getting him settled into his home and just being good parents. And she hasn't really thought about anything else. I call cap on that, but we'll see. We'll see, girl. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. We'll be back later this week with updates from recaps of Sister Wives, New York, Salt Lake City, and uh, yeah, we'll be talking. Love you guys. Bye.